Okay, hello and welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining us shortly will be Scotty Hertz. Um, we are, uh, as this show is uh, going to air, we are on September the 1st, and that means uh, the election season is actually well underway. Uh, you may soon see signs going up in your neighborhood. There are special events happening all over town. As candidates officially launch their campaign, everyone's jockeying for attention, and we are no different. So over the next, well, let's just say several weeks, you will hear less of me and Scotty and more of some of the people running for office locally, and we're going to get to that in a sec. First, as you know, Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, and that is all we're doing this week. We are interviewing people who are running for city council through, well, the rest of September, because there are just that many people running for city council, and we are glad of it. We are glad to see so many people running for local office here. So to start off, we have five interviews for this week's show. Uh, they are Dan Gibson, who's running for re-election in Ward 1. Uh, Kevin Bowman, who's running for Ward 3. Denise Renault, who is running for Ward 5. Aaron Caton, who is running in Ward 1 also. And we will wrap up with Dominique O'Rourke, who is running for re-election in Ward 6. So there's going to be no uh, musical break this week. Uh, there is only so many minutes in an hour, and when you have 40 candidates, you have to squeeze out every minute for uh, these candidates to answer important questions about this campaign season. So I am going to throw it to our first interview, and we're going to be doing it in that in that order. So Dan Gibson, Kevin Bowman, Denise Renaud, Aaron Caton, and Dominique O'Rourke. And that's starting right now. Okay, so Dan Gibson, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, pleasure to be here, Adam. Thank you. So you're, you're still running in Ward 1. Ward 1 is a very different creature in this election. Has uh, that sure. changed the race, and has, has that changed how you're running? Uh, great question, Adam, and, and thanks for doing this, by the way. Um, I, I think the, if I can be bold, and I'm mm. happy to be bold during an election, <laughs> the the ward, the old ward, so Victoria Road into the downtown, is such a, a, a kaleidoscope of political ideas. Um, you get into the ward, you go door to door, you don't know who's answering. Um, and it's, it creates it, it creates a really cool environment when you're, when you're knocking door to door because you grow as a person. You hear other perspectives, you, you get things, you get challenged. Um, and so I will miss that uh, during this election. Um, the new, I shouldn't say I miss it. There are still lots of perspectives out in the East End. Trust me, there's, there's a, a huge scope of, of ideals in terms of labor and uh, in private sector. Um, there's a whole range of, um, of political ideals, how we want to grow. So it, it's still challenging. I still love it. I still, I still enjoy going door to door, meeting people. But I've always said the person who shakes your hand and says hello during an election is the exact same person you get after the election. Mm. Um, I do not put on it. I do not put on a change of clothes for the election. I am the person I am. And for that reason, I sleep well at night. I've, I've said that many times. I've got one story up there and, um, and that helps. So. I would note, however, you shaved your beard for the election, and I, I wanted to you note know, that because uh, this is audio. So <laughs> I thought of you. I thought of you this last weekend when I was taking it up. I'm like, Adam's going to bring this up. <laughs> uh, you know, you you the, the portion of the East End that now makes up Ward One, um, and you, you kind of address this. It is a constantly shifting, constantly changing. It's a growing area. So how has the, how has this portion of of the east end changed over the last 4 years versus when you were knocking on doors last time um you know th there's new issues there's always new issues so top of mind for all canadians uh, not just Guelph. it's not immune we're not immune to it but mm. if the inflation inflation is a huge issue facing canadians right now and in, in Guelph fights as well uh, housing i say housing affordability but i also say housing accessibility mm. because there's a broad range of housing types that we do need we need, uh, we need uh, people who are looking to downsize, but staying well. We're looking to people who buy for the first time. We're looking for supportive housing. The accessibility of housing is a, is a crisis, not just the affordability as well. 
Uh, and that's, that's, I'm hearing that door to door. I'm hearing about uh, cost of affordability. They, uh, you know, the, the lens of affordability comes all the way down to municipal taxation as well. So people want to know, um, not despite what people think, not everyone just wants their taxes to be removed or frozen or taken away. They want to know that they're getting really good value. Um, and so when they see the parks not being mowed, when they see the, the baseball fields or the, the soccer fields not being maintained properly, that gets to them. That really bothers people. So my job, and I've said this many times, is to ensure that there's transparency in how those services are being delivered and that the most value that we can get for those services are, is being delivered for people. Because when you get past sort of ideals, the front door services matter, despite your whatever your politics may be, the front door services matter and people do care and notice those. Yeah. Um is is that you know you mentioned transparency and and openness um are are you worried that maybe those things have been lacking perhaps it's you know not a, an intentional thing just because of the pandemic it's harder to be accessible mm-hmm. in a pandemic uh and and being you know sort of out and about with the people in in that circumstance and i guess how do we change that going forward right right um so accessibility uh, in terms of being a counselor, you want to be accessible in terms of social media, email, phone. Those are all things that we always have to be working on. Uh, in terms of transparency, I, I, I don't lay blame. I'm not pointing fingers, but there have been some decisions at City Hall that have not necessarily had the rigor of previous decisions. So I think of the, the 1% infrastructure levy, the, ten, the promised 10-year compounding levy quickly turned into a permanent increasing levy that's baked into the budget. We no longer debate it. And then lo and behold, three years to four years later, we're now hiring staff to support operations with that money that was promised to only ever go to Capital Works. Um, so that was something that I was happy to bring transparency, even though I didn't make many friends at City Hall around Council, because <laughs> they knew that it was a, they knew that that was a tough decision to make. And I was just one that was not going to make it. Um, and so, that, you know, transparency is something that I'm known for, good or bad. Um, Mm. You know, the library debate, I was very transparent on my positions. I felt like I articulated my positions well. I lost that debate. I lost that vote. But at the end of the day, I was really surprised and happy to see how many people reached out saying, Dan, we understood your position. We understood uh, what you were going for. We're happy you lost because we love libraries. But (laughs) we do we do support and appreciate your perspectives. And I was very try to be as honest and transparent about my intentions on that file as I could. You're describing a, a kind of idealism in politics that, uh, you know, we don't see very often anymore that, yeah, we can disagree. Thank you for the debate, though. We're glad you yes. lost. But thank, but thank you for the debate. And, <laughs> um, you know, you're no stranger to courting those kind of controversies. So, um, I, I mean, I guess, how, how are you feeling about the political climate? There's a you know, report today about, the, you know, Canadians anger is up. And, you yeah. know, as, yeah. a well, as a well-known contrarian, are you feeling the heat especially? Um, I'll tell you, it's, uh, the, the politicization of, of many things in our community is at fault. It's not one political ideal. It's not the far left. It's not the far right. It's the politicization in general, politicization of, uh, across the spectrum. And, um, when I was thinking about this this morning, the yeah, people want authenticity. Mm. People want authenticity from their politicians. If I don't agree with something, they don't want me to gaslight them on why I support them, but I don't really, but I'll find a way to not support it. They want authenticity. They want motives on display. They want intentions on display. And when it comes to things like the library, I took it on, I took it on the brow for Mm. six weeks during that debate. Um, When it came to the dining district, that was another great debate. I think you weighed in on that one too. I was willing to have those debates. I wasn't trying to gaslight anybody. I was simply saying, these are my positions. I push hard on them, but in the end, if we lo- win, we win. If we lose, we lose, but that is politics. And there's a number of councillors that I quite regularly debate on council um, that I'm friends with outside of council. And we've been able to bridge that um, political divide with just simply saying, I appreciate you as a person and you appreciate me as a person. We appreciate what each of us are doing in the community. We shake hands and we move on. And those relationships are, are difficult to maintain, but when you have them, um, they are really good. They're really good for the community. I had no intention of going down this rabbit hole, but you you keep, <laughs> you, you keep sort of pushing me down it. But, you know, so is that like a matter of practice or is that a matter of like kind of state of mind? Like you you, yeah. you approach this with, with sort of these ingrained values as opposed to something like 
oh, I really hate so-and-so for pushing me on this, but I, I have sure. to ignore it. You know, how, how is, what's your approach? It's never personal. It's mm. not personal. That's mm. uh, at the end of the day, I, I, I love people. I've been told, I've been commanded to love people. Um, and it's not personal, Adam. It's not personal. Um, I was at the baseball diamond. I, I coach baseball with Guelph minor baseball. Um, I was at the baseball diamond. We finished up a game and a, and a council, um, a counselor who I regularly disagree with around the horseshoe came and was uh, practicing for their softball uh, tournament. And we must've engaged in a half an hour conversation. The sun went down on us because it, nothing, nothing uh, associated with politics was discussed. It was all about how is the kids? How is your family? How is, how is your mom? How's, how's life? Mm. And it was just wonderful because it's never personal. It, it, if I lose a debate, if I lose a debate around the horseshoe, I don't go home. I sulk for a night. <laughs> but the <laughs> next time I come back to city council, I have to be prepared to work with people. And so it's, it's only when you see um, what you, would you uh, perceive as being um, uh, a loss of integrity when it comes to a debate. Right. That's when things struggle with getting into personal. But if you maintain a, a an authentic and impersonal and non-personal debate, you can you can get along with most people in this position. Well, then let's look ahead um, to uh, you're an incumbent, so you have a particularly strong hand to play. So let's assume for a minute you uh, are able to achieve re-election. Um, sure. what's, what, what are you eager to get down to business with? Uh, yeah, thanks. So I'll, I'll point out too that I do have eight years of tread on my tires. So there's <laughs> eight years of just of demonstrated voting. So some people say it is an advantage. Some people see that as uh, people are allowed to know who you are. But uh, in terms of the next term of council, I, I think first and foremost, we have to team build. I know, I know it's an old saying, but you know, post-election, whatever's said, whatever's done during election, you have to shake the hands of your council board member, look for common ground and try and work with each other. And I think that's something that will take place for the first three, four months, quite frankly. Um, in terms of the next term of council, uh, foundationally speaking, we have to be a council that does not look to add on. And what I mean by add on, we are already facing uh, a generational crisis in terms of inflation, uh, of cost of living, uh, affordable housing, uh, uh, accessible housing. And we need to ensure that we are not adding on to the problem. Um, so we have a big budget, uh, a big budget increase scheduled for 2023. That will be a confirmation vote on that budget. I'd like to believe that we have a council that will roll up its sleeves, dig in and see what we can do to affect that budget and really um, help again to not add on to the to families and growth. So that leaves us with the most essential question of any campaign. Where can people learn more about you or the issues you're running on? Sure. It's uh, dangibson.ca. Uh, you can find me on uh, social media um, at Dan Gibson, C-L-L-R, Dan Gibson Council. Um, but the website is up. Uh, my election platform will be up there shortly. Uh, we've got some fun things that we're going to be launching in the next few weeks, um, and we're excited to get going. Okay, Kevin Bowman, thank you for hopping on with me today. My pleasure. Thank you for the invite, Adam. Uh, to begin with, uh, tell people where they might recognize the name Kevin Bowman from. If they're politically tuned in to what's going on in Guelph, they probably recognize the name. So where do people recognize your name from? Uh, well, uh, possibly from a couple things. Uh, I've been involved with the um, Guelph Campus Co-op, which is a student cooperative uh, based off the university. Um, and uh, yeah, so that co-op owns quite a bit of affordable student housing in town and they have um, neighborhood relations with the old university neighborhood. And we built a um, several million dollar housing, I think 72 bed uh, development there. Um, mm. And so that was probably my first time being mentioned in a local newspaper and having my photo plastered somewhere <laughs> that I can recall. Um, since then, I've been involved with a couple local community groups, uh, 123 Guelph, which is advocating for municipal electoral reform along with various chapters in other cities. And we actually succeeded in getting some legislative change on that under the Win Liberals. Um, unfortunately, Doug uh, didn't come to pass. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was also involved with um, Democracy Guelph back when the federal liberal liberals were running as part of their election campaign. They were promising the last first pass the post-election 
And um, so Democracy Guelph was a bunch of folks in Guelph who got together and we were pushing for them to stick to that promise and ideally deliver proportional representation. Mm -hmm. um, I think those would be the three primary things that would pop up if somebody Googled my name. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So uh, you're running in Ward 3, where, where there is um, an open seat. June Hofflin decided to uh, take her leave with this term. Um, so I just, you know, I assume you've been out and about already and, and sort of talking to people and people been getting in touch with you. So in, in terms of sort of general, the general concerns of Ward 3, um, what, are, what have you been hearing and, and what are you looking at? Uh, well, one of the most recent things to come up was the... Um, the exploratory discussions around uh, rail crossings. Mm. So the Metroplex services are being uh, upgraded uh, in preparation for more frequent uh, two-way all-day-go service, which I'm very much in favor of. Um, but this is raising questions of like, okay, if we change the service levels at the various rail crossings in Ward 3, what changes, if any, are necessary to make sure that those rail crossings are compliant with safety standards? Um, and it's very early days, so no commitments are being made. It's all very exploratory. But one of the things that was published in public documents and the public became aware of was the consideration of either an underpass um, at the Edinburgh uh, crossing. Mm -hmm. And that would potentially you know, significantly impact the folks that are living there in the case that it would make the crossing the street much more difficult and some people's houses might need to actually be uh, purchased off them in order to allow that property to be used for construction of an underpass. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's lots of concern about that, completely understandable, um, but it's very early days and that's just one of many, many options that need to be considered for that rail crossing. So it's not a done deal by any means. It's uh, very early on in the process. Mm -hmm. um, other concerns that I know residents of Ward 3 uh, have uh, top of mind uh, housing affordability, both for purchasers and for renters, and um, also community safety, both in terms of like road safety, making sure that it's safe for our kids to cross the street and they're not going to be um, involved in some horrible accident, cyclists as well. Um, there's lots of uh, parks, particularly exhibition park, where like there's a lot of pedestrian activity there. Um, but there's also a lot of vehicular traffic. And so we need to make sure that those two things are not colliding with each other, literally. Mm -hmm. um, another concern uh, related to safety is the um, folks who are living rough, uh, either because of they, they've lost their housing uh, due to you know, income problems, or maybe they're dealing with mental health crisis or addiction issues. Um, and a lot of those folks are living uh, in survival mode and you know anybody regardless of how resilient or tough you are if you're living on house that can uh, really really negatively impact your health and it's an unsafe way to live your life um, but unfortunately they don't they don't have a lot of other options right now and I think that needs to change we need to provide some other opportunities and pathways out of that situation mm-hmm you made housing a pretty big plank and people can go to your campaign website and, and see that. Um, I am curious though, and I'm sure you're aware of this, that when it comes to housing, there aren't a lot of levers that council can, <clears throat> excuse me, pull. On the other hand, you do have experience building affordable housing as a member of the, <coughs> excuse me, campus co-op. So in terms of looking at this issue in a new way on council, uh, what are you hoping to bring? Yeah, so you're right in that there's most of the direct levers that affect affordable housing are at the provincial level, but there's some indirect things and a few direct things that the, the city can do. So um, I believe there's several other cities in Ontario, uh, Windsor and Toronto and Ottawa, I think, who have implemented vacancy taxes. Um, and I think that's something that we should look very seriously at. It's actually been quite successful in BC. Uh, I think I read a report a couple of days ago where the implementation of their foreign buyers tax and their vacancy tax, they estimate that that's brought 20,000 condo units back onto the market, mm. um, which is fantastic uh, before they were just sitting empty by you know speculative investors. Um, 
Now, I don't think Guelph is anywhere near the same degree of problem with speculative investors as BC does, but there's definitely people here who are sitting on vacant land. I can think of two or three properties within walking distance of my house that have been vacant the entire time I've lived here, which is almost a decade. Mm -hmm. um, that's just ridiculous to me that there's housing sitting unused. Meanwhile, we have unhoused people. It's obscene. Um, so that's one thing. Um, the recent zoning bylaw changes was a step in the right direction, which makes uh, development of things other than a single family detached home a little bit easier. Um, you know, mo the vast majority of development in Guelph is, of course, around the peripheries, and it's mostly done by large developers, your fusion homes, your Reed heritage homes, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, one of the ways that you can address housing affordability is infill development, building en suites or turning a large house that used to be a multifamily home into a multi-unit home. Um, and because you're making those changes in an existing neighborhood, the infrastructure is already there. And so it doesn't impact the future tax burden on people too much because it's like, well, the sewers are already there. The hydro is already there. The roads are already there. We're already paying for that. You're just adding more taxpayers to the tax base to pay for those things, which actually brings taxes down for each person because mm. you have more people paying. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, those are a couple of things that I think the city should be acting on in terms of uh, housing for sure. In terms of the makeup of council, there's four open seats this election. So, I mean, it's it, things are going to look very differently when the, the new council sits after the election. In you know, you could potentially be a part of that change. So in, in terms of like the functioning of council and, and how council represents the city at large um how are you hoping the new council is is sort of more reflective of of the needs of the city if if you happen to win or frankly even if if you don't happen to um end up mm -hmm. as one of the two ward three councillors yeah i mean i want to see and I, if elected i will definitely be putting a lot of my time and effort into a lot more engagement with the folks who typically are not represented at city council because uh, they live the kind of lives that don't allow them to be a counselor, but they're also not represented at city council in terms of delegations. Cause again, they can't get away from work uh, or they can't get away from family obligations to, to delegate to council. Um, and that's not to take away from the folks who do delegate to council because the, the so-called usual suspects as they're often referred to. Uh, <laughs> I think they have a lot of valuable input and we should definitely be listening to them. I don't want to disregard what they have to say, but there's a lot of other people in town who have important input and in information that council needs in order to make appropriate decisions. And we don't hear from those people through no fault of their own. They just don't have the capacity or the ability to interact with city council under the way that we have currently set up our public engagement uh, methods or, or opportunities. So, mm. Uh, the obvious solution to me is that the city council needs to go to where the people are. If they, people can't come to us, um, what exactly that looks like? I think it depends on each ward and the, the community because the demographics in the, uh, are totally different depending on which community you're talking about. Um, but yeah, I, uh, one of the things that I have the privilege of being able to offer as a candidate is that I'm in a position both personally and financially that if elected, I'm going to be treating this like a full-time job. Mm. So I'm going to have the time and I intend to use that time to spend a, uh, a lot of my efforts in the community, talking to people who can't get to city council um, to delegate on, on things. Okay. Then that brings us to the most essential part of the interview, which is where can people learn more about you or your campaign? Absolutely. So uh, the best thing would be to visit my website, which is Kevin-Bowman or Kevin-Bowman, if you prefer, uh, .org. And uh, you can either put that straight into your web browser or you can always visit the city elections website, which is vote.guelph.ca. And that'll have links to all the candidates for all the uh, positions and my website's listed there as well. So we're joined by Denise Renault, one of six candidates who's running for one of two seats in Ward 5 in the municipal election on October 24th. Welcome to the show, Denise. Well, thank you very much for having me, Scotty. Kind of by way of introduction, as someone who hasn't run for council before, can you just tell us a bit about yourself? Well, I am born and raised in Guelph, second generation. 
I have raised, uh, lived here all my life, raised my family. And I've, you know, worked in various restaurants throughout the city in various uh, capacities. I have uh, volunteered for the sea, preparing meals for the um, food insecure, as well as delivered those meals, as well as other food. I also volunteered for Habitat for Humanity and uh, Celebrate Recovery. I prepare luncheons for them after their meetings. And I volunteer for a rescue of senior dogs. So, and, and you're not actually a complete stranger to City Hall because you're on the planning advisory committee. That's true. Uh, can you talk a bit about that? Uh, is, is Did that kind of like shape your political perspective or intent to get more involved? It was part of it, yes. Uh, it was a very, it's very interesting to be on uh, the planning committee. It uh, gives you a little insight as to, you know, the, the gears and the, the workings of how the city works from the inside out and have the opportunity to share my views and express, you know, keep an eye on where we're going in the city of Guelph. Initially, you intended to run in Ward 1, but you switched to Ward 5. What was it that made you change your mind as to where to run? Well, actually, I was kind of encouraged to spread the vote around a little bit Oh. Um, due to the fact that, you know, at the time, uh, there was only the two incumbents that were uh, on right. the ballot at the time. Mm-hmm. So people thought it would be, you know, a little boring if there wasn't more to choose from. Ward 5 is is an interesting ward and that kind of has a covers a cross section of the neighborhoods. Uh, those of us like yourself and myself that have been here long enough kind of consider it the old South End, right? At court right, right. there is kind of the, end yeah. of the line. <laughs> Are there any specific issues to Ward 5 that have come up so far? That It's the, the building. Like People don't want the days in tore down to make room for that uh, for the student housing. Right. They think it's going to be a bit of an albatross. And uh, they're concerned of what's it going to do to their property values and to their, their view. So, you know, that's a, that's a really big issue. But the people in Ward 5, they're not happy about that. And uh, Ward 5, as we know, is also home to the U of G. How would you, uh, as somebody who's going to represent Ward 5, represent the students at City Hall? Well, I think that's a difficult question because, you know, the students, they come and go. Mm -hmm. So, and and they're not, they're more transient. They're not really um, the people that live in the city who really have an investment here. So um, to represent them, though, I think it would be like to make sure that you know, they, they get uh, their voices heard as well, but they need to be heard. They need to be respected. So uh, what I've seen on your, at least on your old, for the old, older Facebook page, that one of your key campaign themes is your belief in a fiscally responsible government, a city <laughs> run as a business. And I think you put it as, as a folly regarding, you know, certain Correct. developments. Correct. Um, what steps or initiatives w- would you take to bring that vision about to see a more, fiscally responsible government? Well, I do believe that we need to um, take another look at that 10% tax increase over two years. I think that's going to be very difficult for um, people. I think seniors are really going to feel the crunch from that, as well as people that are just, you know, getting by paycheck to paycheck. Like it's actually, if you look at it, it's going to be more than 10% because it's going to be compounded. Right. So it's I think it's four point seven nine year one, five point one seven year two. But when you do the the one and then on top of the other, you're going to notice it's going to be a little bit more than your actual 10 percent. And I think that's too much of a burden for people in the city to absorb for the most part, especially now with the rate of inflation and uh, the cost of gas and you know trying just to keep family and and a roof over your head. So, and in terms of like developments in towns, one that comes up a lot or has come up a lot in the past is is the library. Um, would you see a more fiscally responsible city kind of throttling back on developments like that and kind of gearing certain things down? Or well, I think the city they've created a very contentious uh, momentum with the library. I don't think um, a lot of people are very happy with how. <laughs> That has transpired, mm-hmm. and uh, they feel that maybe 
we didn't need that much of a library to that expense because you know it's the 68 million but it's going to be a lot more than that because uh, Guelph has a record of never being able to do anything on budget and on time let's be you know to be straightforward and honest about it so I think you know going forward people are going to expect the you know the council to really pick and choose their projects and make sure that they're you know very important and, and very necessary. Like our infrastructure is a mess. Our transportation, our bus service needs to be, we're getting bigger, but our bus service can't handle the load of people or get people to where they need to be with, you know, in a timely manner. So those are things that we need to look at. And maybe we could invest more in that and less in frivolous things or, you know, less important things, I guess. I know I'm going to catch it for that, but anyway. You've also been active in efforts to address the uh, ongoing and worsening crisis of addiction and in Guelph. Now, can you talk a bit about your experience there and uh, how do you feel that by being on city council could help steer the conversation in a certain way? Well, um, if you look on Guelph today, you'll see an article in respect to the fact that I lost my daughter to uh accidental fentanyl overdose yes i did see that i'm sorry to hear that yes and troy did a lovely article in respect to that also too i've been teaming up with donnie hay and we were trying very hard to get a detox center in guelph or Hmm. some kind of help for the people of guelph besides just a seven day in and out uh, program or an outpatient care which really I don't see either one of them working because people haven't had the opportunity to work on their triggers and to work on their trauma in those very short days or in an outpatient uh, system. Also, too, I'm not a fan of uh, safe injection site or uh, safe drug supply. I think it's more we're not really offering anything else. And uh, we need to offer, we need more tools in the box. We need to get more mental health support and we need to get more opportunities for people to get clean instead of, you know, kind of just kind of saying it's okay. Right. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine anybody wanting to wake up every day wanting to be a drug addict. Like there's got to be a point where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm very strong there. And uh, especially when you lose somebody. Right. Somebody falls through the cracks, right? By extension to that, in terms of the uh, housing issues in town, which are becoming, well, chronic, I guess, at this point, in terms of uh, affordability. I understand that you are a, do you call it a Habitat for Humanity recipient or you're involved in the... I'm a a partner family. Partner family. Correct. So uh, what apartment partner family is, is um, I applied and I was awarded the opportunity to participate in City View Village, which is the the last um, multi-house project that Habitat has created. And uh, to be fortunate enough, I have a a little one-bedroom condo. I had to put in 250 hours of volunteer work in lieu of my down payment. And they in turn hold for me a gear to income mortgage that I can own my own home. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm very lucky to have been able to do that. I just wish there was more of it. And uh, so that people aren't paying like almost $2,000 for a one bedroom apartment. You know, it's difficult, right? And would you see yourself as somebody that might champion uh, putting forward programs like that if you're on uh, council? Absolutely. It makes a world of difference, even for the families we have here. And, uh, you know, being in a, like a geared to income situation, families have the opportunity to, you know, their kids have the opportunity to maybe play sports or parents have the opportunity to save for college where if they're paying, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, trying to keep a roof over their heads, the kids aren't going to have that because the money's not there. And um, it's just, it's just not fair. Do you have anything that would be, let's say, 
your first order of business, not necessarily a magic wand, but if elected to council, what would be your priority one, number one? That priority you would, one yeah. um, would definitely be to have a look at this um, 10% uh, tax increase and see if we can revamp it and bring it down because I think it's far too much for the people of the city, you know, for families and for seniors and for people who, you know, are by themselves just trying to own their house and keep their house and keep food in their mouth and gas in their car. It's too much to add that burden onto them too. So is there anything else just generally that you'd like the uh, voters out there, the people of Guelph to know about you? I just want them to know that like, I'm, you know, I will be, do my best. I pledge to, you know, represent them the best way I can. I will always be honest, obviously, sometimes a little too honest. And uh, I'll always have an open door policy where people can, you know, reach out to me with their, you know, concerns or if they don't, if there's something they want to, you know, have a look at and we can discuss it and hopefully we can find a solution for it. Great. So you had said that you're, you're kind of retooling your social media and whatnot, but if people wanted to learn more about you currently and, you know, about your campaign or just wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? You can reach out to my uh, my webpage is my name, Denise Renault, and it's spelled D-E-N-E-S-E-R-E-N-A-U-D dot C-A. Uh, I also have a Facebook page and my uh, webpage is connected to my Facebook page. And you can also reach me by Gmail at deniseward5 dot gmail dot com. At gmail.com, sorry. Erin Caton, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Great. Uh, so, you know, you are a new face, um, so to speak, in, in this election. Um, so why don't we just begin with talking a little bit about yourself and, and, and where you come from and why you're running. So I am new to Guelph, relatively. <laughs> I've lived here for about three years with my daughter. We moved out of Toronto after uh, we lived next to an illegally operating factory that was, <laughs> I know, was uh, kind of blowing industrial adhesives at our yard and house. So we ended up developing some environmental sensitivities and we wanted to move to a place that was more green and had better air quality. So we were looking around and we saw Guelph and it had Riverside, uh, Riverside Park and we loved it and all of the trails. So we picked a spot on the edge of the city to move here. I've lived in Guelph for almost 20 years and I still think I'm still kind of new here. Um, that <laughs> seems to be the tenor of the town. Uh, you're running in Ward 1. So can you talk a bit about Ward 1 as, as sort of uh, a location in Guelph and, and sort of what that, uh, you know, what it means to Guelph and, 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 and uh, why you want to represent it, I guess. So... Technically, I don't live in Ward 1. I live a block away from the new Ward 1 boundary, (laughs) but I'm like right at the edge of the city. And I think that a lot of places in Guelph have edge of the city problems and Mm. Ward 1 kind of has that. So uh, right up where I am and for most of Ward 1, there's a really big lack of commercial spaces. We don't have uh, a lot of sidewalks even or services, amenities. We kind of get forgotten when it comes to snow plowing and sidewalk plowing and uh, we we don't have a lot of grocery options. Uh, there's no on-demand buses for most of the areas. So it seems like we're kind of like in this service black hole. Mm. At edge of town problems. I, I think there's probably, it, it, probably with the exception of Ward 5, I think probably every part of Guelph has edge of town problems. Um, yeah. Can you talk a bit about I mean, maybe this ties into what you were just saying, you, you know, your campaign slogan there on your website, you deserve better, your voice matters. So I guess you've, you've tackled the you deserve better portion. What is it that you think has been lacking in terms of representing, you know, constituent concerns at City Hall that maybe you want to address in the second part of your slogan? So it's kind of thing where we make a lot of promises, but we don't really deliver. Mm. And you know, they're, they've been talking a lot about the grocery issue for a long time. And there's a lot that gets put on one specific commercial property. They, they're like, well, if only the law laws would do the law laws, then we could 
solve all of the issues with this whole big, huge area, right? And that's not true. Um, like, and it's so limiting, right? Like, so we can think about more ideas. Like, why don't we have little pop-up farmer's markets? I talked to a whole bunch of people at the farmer's market downtown. I'm like, would you be interested if we had like these little zones where you could go and have a booth like once a week, like a lot of other big cities do. And they like, we're absolutely into that. So like, there's more than we could be doing. We just seem to be kind of, I don't know, mentally limiting ourselves to one solution instead of thinking more creatively. And um, I'm, a, I'm a single parent and I have disabilities. So I always have to kind of find a new way to do things or like a cheaper way or a faster way or like basically just kind of think outside of the box. Right. And um, we can pull that into municipal services. Mm-hmm. You, you did mention um, you are someone who lives with a, a disability. Um, you work a lot with the Accessibility Advisory Committee. I know that this was sort of an undercurrent running up to the election, particularly in regards of like voting methods and things. Um, but, but do you have a sense that um, a lot of these issues you're concerned about in regards to accessibility are, are sort of on top of mind this election? Well, it depends on who you are, right? Mm. And there's a lot of things that are disability issues that are everybody's issues and you just don't know it, right? Like sidewalks are a safety issue for everybody, right? So lacking sidewalks, especially in the winter, um, any kid needs to cross the street. So you don't have to be disabled to need a sidewalk. And like our bikes have a wider wheelbase. And so we need wider bike lanes and wider bike lanes are safer for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you don't want to, especially I was, <laughs> so I was riding on uh, Victoria Road with my daughter and oh my God, it was terrifying. So she's kind of like wobbly and she's going to go into this thing. And I was videotaping it at the time just for other, like to make a video for fun. And she wobbles like right out of the bike lane and I nearly lost my mind. So um, like that sort of thing, like if we had protected bike lanes, it's not just for disabilities, it's going to help everybody. So they're just more like general safety issues if you think about them in those terms. Right. And I think that maybe confuses the the issue um, that making life better for people with disabilities has no bearing on those of us who are able-bodied. That oh, yeah. It, yeah. If you've ever pushed a stroller, <laughs> then, you, <laughs> then you'll know that like there's a lot that you can kind of get stuck in and that's one of the reasons why I was helping out with the, the playground accessibility stuff. So like when, when you work on an advisory council, like the accessibility advisory council, you kind of see a lot of plans go by, right? Mm. And uh, provincially they're required to have us, but they're not necessarily required to listen to all of the things we say. So they don't have to like accept the advice. We, they have to hear it. And uh, when I saw that they were building five, new playgrounds and none of them were accessible. I was like, oh, seriously, are we doing this again? So um, I went on Facebook as did a whole bunch of other parents and we kind of built this little community out of it of folks who wanted to see playgrounds getting built with like the rubberized surfaces and and things like that. Um, But like if you're, you've got one kid in and they're on their swing and then you've got another kid in a stroller and you can't like push that stroller through all of those wood chips when yeah. your other kid falls. I'm like, are you going to leave your baby on the side? No, like you're just in like in a hard situation at that point. I think that ties into though the you know your your campaign slogan, your voice matters. What you're essentially saying is that even when you are kind of involved with the city um, on a like a, a direct level, like an advisory committee, it still feels like maybe your voice doesn't matter, and so that's something that needs to change. Yeah, like we we shouldn't be forcing people to delegate in large masses in order to get heard. Like even delegating is hard, mm. right? Like we've got a certain amount of hours that you can do that. And then the meetings run really long. It's like they don't really pay attention to all of the things they need to put on the agenda. Like mm. those meetings should be like four hours maximum. And I feel bad for you because you're the one like tweeting them out. And I also love that, by the way, because that makes my life a lot easier. I can like read through it. But uh it just seems inefficient, right? I'm a project manager. So <laughs> when I see projects like that and like the process kind of going awry, then like I just feel it in my heart. I 
completely and totally get where you're coming from. Um, you, you, one of the things you did on your campaign website I found interesting was you, you did a list through of like places of worship, parks. Uh, th- that park section is particularly uh, very large. Um, and I get the impression, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that parks are, and you've already kind of addressed it um, as we've been talking here, parks are, are a big priority, right, for you? Yeah, yeah, because like, especially with like the pandemic and we've got like pandemic part two with monkeypox coming up and everything, there's, you know, being outside is important, right? And it's not just important for health, but like mental health and activities and sports, like everything can be done in parks, right? Mm-hmm. You can be having the markets there. There's there's lots of opportunities. So uh, we need to have a certain amount of green space for our population. And we're supposed to be growing to like uh, 208,000 people by 251, mm-hmm. or and, and so like, that's, that's a lot of people. So we need to have enough spaces for everybody to go and green spaces and parks are, are really a big important part of that. Mm-hmm. So I guess that brings us to uh, the most essential question of the campaign for you as a candidate. And that is where can people learn more about you or your campaign or, or where, where can people connect with you online? <laughs> So I'm, I'm all over the place online. That's my favorite place to be. <laughs> um, my Twitter account is at Aaron because I'm old and in tech. And so I kind of got in there first. And my uh, website is AaronWard1.ca. And, you know, if people actually just want to call me even, then they can call me at uh, 365-800-6116. Or you can email me, uh, info at AaronWard1.ca. Okay, Dominique O'Rourke, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Does Ward 4 feel smaller? Or excuse me, Ward 6, I should say. Uh, Does Ward 6 feel smaller this time? A little bit. But, you know, it's always been a really large ward geographically. But I'm uh, I'm I'm sorry to to see the folks north of Arco Road go, and um, uh, that was a lovely community. So the, it is a little bit smaller this time, which really was a long time coming because uh, the folks in Ward Six had been severely underrepresented for a number of years, and so that ward boundary review readjusts the representation by population, which I think is really important. And they how about call me though? They can still call. They can still call me. I still care. Yeah. They can still call you if they miss you. Um, <laughs> or get your newsletter or follow you on Absolutely. Twitter. Absolutely. There you go. Yep. Um, for you personally, is running different this time as a, kind of like a seasoned pro at uh, campaigning and uh, succeeding in, in an election? Are, are you doing anything different this time? No, we're still going to meet people at the door. I'd say I'm starting a little bit later than last time, mostly through personal circumstance. So last time, May 1st, I was ready to go. We were knocking on doors in July. Uh, This time, I feel like the public has a bit of election fatigue. And so I was letting the summer pass and get organized. Personally, it feels different because last time, you know, I didn't know a lot about master plans or, um, you know, transit plans or how, you know, civic budget, municipal budgets work. So there was a lot of that. There was a lot of listening. Uh, I'm still listening. I'm still asking people at the door what their top concerns are, but I'm able to answer knowledgeably a lot more questions. So they want to know, you know, what is happening with the South End Rec Centre. So I can answer those questions really from a a position of knowledge, which is lovely. Uh, By and large, people are pretty happy, which is great. Uh, It is tough for any candidate to knock on your door and and ask you to vote for them. That is a hard thing to do, regardless of... uh, the person if the person's a newcomer or seeking re-election mm-hmm. i know this is kind of a, a big thing with you in, in terms of talking about uh your ward um and and i guess visibility for lack of a better word but you know making sure people understand and appreciate uh ward six is a, a part of guelph the newer part of guelph to be sure but a part of guelph just the same i realize that maybe for the citizens of ward six they do feel that they are guelphites uh full and true um but when you when you're talking you know uh outside your area are you feeling that uh ward six is being seen more that uh maybe uh it it 
to to those of us who live in the northern end, uh, we we are more embracing of the south end experience. So I'm certainly trying to raise the profile of Ward 6 and of its issues. And I'm a really strong believer that we need to have something attractive for people from other parts of the city to come to. So I was a big proponent for Claire Malby's secondary plan to say, what will attract people here? Uh, the first round of dates or hot summer nights did not have a South End Park in it. And mm. so I asked, what is the process for choosing these parks? Because you can't ignore everything south of Stone. Uh, I feel the same way about uh, consultation. So we have a consultation for downtown where the pop-ups are strictly downtown, mm -hmm. but there's no reason you couldn't have a pop-up at Stone Road Mall or other locations to find out, are you going downtown? If so, what do you think? Are you not going downtown and why? We really need to broaden that consultation piece and not just rely on the online piece. If we're having the pop-ups, have them more broadly. I was online last night, Stormwater Management, same thing. They have three pop-ups uh, none of them are in the South End. And yet I've been here uh, for 20 years. The folks in Port Wright East have been there for much longer. The folks along Edinburgh have been there for much longer. I mean, we're, we need a voice in these things and we need to be included. You know, people look at the South End and they say, well, they have everything. We have mm. a lot of private infrastructure and we have very little public infrastructure which is why I keep pushing so hard for the South End Rec Centre that has also been promised for 20 years. So when I bought my house in 2000, the realtor said a rec centre was coming soon. And my kids are 15 and 18 and they may never set foot in there. So I'm going to keep pushing. Uh, it's too late for my family, but it's there's plenty of time and we'll get it done for my neighbours who have little kids. So, you know, um, we need to look at the city as a whole. We're not Tokyo. I've said that before. We should be able to embrace the whole city. In Toronto, they'll go to the beaches one weekend and they'll go to the Danforth the next weekend and they'll go downtown the weekend after that. And there's no reason we can't do that here in Guelph. Uh, there there are parks in Ward 6 right now, right? Oh, there are gorgeous parks in Ward 6. <laughs> Actually, you know, if you look at a map, Ward 6, Ward 5, we're probably the lungs of the city with Preservation Park. Absolutely huh? gorgeous. I will tell you, though, there are parks like Oran Reed Park where mm. if you look at the city website, it says the next phase of master planning uh, will will take place when budget allows. But it's been like that probably for 10 years. Mm. So there are parts that, of the South End that have an approved master plan and they've been leapfrogged by a number of other things over the course of several years. So that's one of the reasons that I'm running again to keep an eye on those things because we do see at the budget time what the projects are and sometimes councillors say, oh, I want to move this up. Well, I'm there to make sure that uh, the South End Rec Centre and some legacy projects and the voice of Ward 6 is heard clearly. The other thing is we have significant impacts of development. Mm -hmm. You know, the people in Ward 6, it's not NIMBY when they say there's tons of overflow parking in my neighbourhood. That's their reality. We believe everybody else's lived experience, except apparently when it comes to overflow parking, <laughs> and, and their experience of Gordon Street right? Which does have, you know, improvements coming. But six of the 10 most serious injury or deadly collisions, six in 10 mid-block collisions are between Claire and Courtright. Okay. Mm. Six in 10, it means it's a terrible stretch of road. It means there is an impact of all that intensification. And if it were anywhere else in the city, people would be paying attention. Mm -hmm. So I'm hopeful the Gordon Street improvements that are coming um will be helpful they'll, they'll add a turning lane from Lansdowne to Lowe's but people in Ward 6 need to have somebody who knows this stuff and who is advocating for them mm -hmm. I guess part of this too is and and you know this um it, it seems like a planning meeting doesn't go by that there isn't a, a a plan for something along Gordon or something in in your area I guess how do you balance you know the fact that Guelph does need to grow, um, and and I guess how do you how do you balance that with a lot of that growth seems to be incidentally, or perhaps uh, by design, uh, happening on Ward Six. So totally true. We need to grow. We have the intensification corridor, but people in Ward Six were shown an intensification plan and concepts for that intensification corridor. So if a developer wants to build within that sandbox, which is what people were shown which is what they were told, it's what the planners said it could absorb, there's no problem there. 
The problem is when you have a developer who wants four times the density on the same piece of land. A problem I have is the cumulative impacts of rapid succession of those developments. So if you look, and I, I don't have the sheet with me, but it's been, I've been in the newspaper with my clipboard showing how <laughs> much development is taking place around Gordon and Arkell, which we know has natural heritage limitations, so we can't widen the road. It is the third deadliest intersection in the city. Okay, We know there's a problem at Gordon and Arkell, and we keep going above what is permitted there. So I'll give you an example. Look, there will be development. I just want it to be appropriate. I want it to not cast a shadow on everyone who's there already. I want mm. it to not have negative environmental impacts, right? The people in Ward 6, they know that development is coming. They just want something reasonable that fits. So I'll, I'll support that. That's not a problem. Um, you know, you talk about there's not a not a planning meeting that goes by that, uh, that we don't talk about Ward 6. It, it's not quite true, but it feels true. <laughs> Uh, September 12th, we have two. We're going to bookend Arkle Road. I ran because of Arkle Road, because of all those developments and no real sense that we were taking into consideration the whole. Mm -hmm. But on September 12th, the decision meeting for the high school at Victoria and Arkle, that will be a decision to change the permitted uh, use of the land. So that'll be fine, but it's good progress for the high school. Mm -hmm. And the development application for um, what was Hamilton's Garage at Gordon and Arkle. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna bookend the street. We're gonna talk about Arkle Road a lot. You're gonna hear me talk about uh, the inability to widen there. Um, you know, so I'm I'm on it. I'm really on it. Uh, I, I'm not sure anybody digs deep into those <laughs> development applications like I do. And sometimes it's, you know, it's things like, we're gonna need another stoplight. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes you need that local knowledge and context. But I saw the report back for uh, for Hamilton's Garage, that location. And staff, you know, there's a point by point how they answer the concerns. And they've done some important stuff like there's no longer an entrance off of Arkle because there's a steep incline and uh, and there's short storage between the um, the intersection and what that proposed entrance was. So staff are on it as well. Um, I just really want the rest of council um, and staff to, to hear the real concerns of folks in Ward 6 and they're legitimate. Okay, I think that was an answer to three questions. So I'll wrap up by uh, <laughs> by asking you um, this most essential question, which is how people can learn more about your campaign. Sure. So they can visit uh, O'RourkeWard6.ca. That's the website. They can email me at O'Rourke underscore Ward6 at Rogers.com. Uh, I'm on social media at uh, Elect O'Rourke. That's on um, Facebook and Twitter. And they can still, you know, if, so that's election stuff. But if they have a concern about city stuff, uh, councillor work, they can still reach me at my council email address, which is dominique.orourke at, at guelph.ca. <laughs> and I'm on social media uh, there as well. To recap, we had on this week, Dan Gibson, Kevin Bowman, Denise Renaud, Aaron Caton, and Dominique O'Rourke. We will be back next week with another slate of five. And until then, that is it for this week's edition of the show. We hope you enjoyed it. You can stay connected to us at our website at opensourcesguelph.com. You can find us on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire and on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you would like to listen to this show again, you can download it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or at your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. I am personally at Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can find my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. For Scotty Hertz, you can find him on Facebook and Twitter at Scotty Hertz. And I'm going to put in a plug here for Scotty Hertz. He's going to be playing the Labor Day picnic at Riverside Park on Monday. Uh, the picnic starts at noon. I do believe Scotty is one of the openers. I don't have the complete playlist for the Labor Day picnic, but uh, Scotty will be performing on his guitar, Gently Weeping. So you should uh, definitely come by Riverside Park to see Scotty play and enjoy a nice hot dog and samosa. I believe that's what's on the menu there. Anyway, in terms of all things CFRU, you can find uh, the full program schedule at CFRU.ca. 
Uh, in the meantime, there is more great programming on this channel, CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return with even more election candidates next Thursday at 5 p.m. here on Open Sources, and we will see you then. <laughs>